Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to your book. I'm your shelf-obsessed book inspector, Daisy Buchanan, and this week we're in south-east London, visiting someone who, with apologies to E.B. White, is a true friend and a good writer. It's the novelist, columnist and podcaster, Caroline O'Donoghue. Caroline's debut, Promising Young Women, is the deliciously dark story of Jane, the talented advertising ingenue who falls for a man who might not be all that he seems. Is he a regular bad guy or the sort of bad guy who gets dreamed up at a Hammer Horror script meeting? Caroline is a contributing editor for The Pool, the smart women's website loved by millions of readers. She writes a weekly column for the Irish Times and she hosts two fabulous podcasts, School for Dumb Women and her newly launched series about classic pieces of women's commercial fiction, Sentimental Garbage. We met Caroline just before Christmas, so this episode has a bit of an end-of-term vibe, especially because we were very excited to hang out with Sylvie the dog. Um, (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Hello, Sylvie. Is that a a bobble off my Christmas tree? (laughs) Yeah, we're recording this in December, not to time it too intently, but um, we've got got dogs, we've got Christmas, it's all good here. There's some cider mulling over there. It does smell amazing, that cider. Very spicy. Oh, so that Delia Efron book, is she any relation? She is. Oh my, I she didn't is know Efron's sister. Oh my God. I had no idea. Tell me. Oh my goodness. Did you? Okay. So Delia Efron uh, is Nora Efron's younger sister. And in Hanging Up, which was later made into a movie with Meg Ryan, Lisa Kudrow and Diane Keaton. And yet somehow is a film that no one knows about. Whoa. It is. It's actually a brilliant, brilliant book. Like, do you know how... Do you know how when you read Nora Ephron and you love her, but you also feel like she'd eat you alive? Like you feel like you'd love to go to lunch with Nora Ephron, but on the proviso that you already knew that she loved you and you wouldn't want to chance her not liking you because she said something terrible about your hair or whatever. Delia is kind of the softer, like person who might actually pick you up from the bus station at 2am version of Nora Ephron. It's like she is just wants to please everyone and loves everyone and she loves her dog and in Hanging Up it is about three sisters you'll love actually you're going away with that today it's about three sisters um, who and their father is dying and their mother is already dead and uh, they're just basically calling each other it's all in phone calls the entire book and it's uh, them calling each other about who's going to take dad this weekend and who's going to do this and who's, shy, who's like um, shirking their responsibility and there is a brilliant character that is basically Nora of my older sister who runs a magazine in New York and is always too busy and is always stealing my jokes. And she wrote my um, chicken stuffing recipe as her own in her magazine and she put herself on the cover of her own magazine. It's basically a hilarious satire of what it's like being Nora's younger sister. I love it. Um, And also has one of my favourite lines ever. I actually, I give away so many books, but that one I, I actually refer to a lot because there's a bit that she says whenever I feel like I'm being an asshole for gossiping about people, she says um, gossip is just the way that we learn how other people process things. Do you know what I mean? Oh my god, that makes so much sense. Right? It's like, you know when you're like, because when I'm when I'm discussing a woman that, it, um, let's face it, the only interesting gossip is about other women. Um, when I'm discussing a woman, it's like I'm like, why has she done that now? Why did she get 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 with him even though she's clearly not over him? Why is she doing that? Why? I'm always just trying to pick apart why that woman is doing something. All we're trying to do is to understand other people's desires and motivations. Right? 
Like to gossip is to be a writer, right? It's to be a writer, to be an unreliable narrator. Yeah. The bits you hone in on, the details. I'm quite, you know when you're sort of, I'm quite embarrassed that I've never heard of this, but although I'm so excited to read it. She is not that like, like, The rest famous. of the podcast is just going to be me going, <laughs> <laughs> No, do take it. Because um, I really love Nora Ephron writing about jealousy and her, I think it's a review she's written of a memoir of Dorothy Parker and she talks about her own Dorothy Parker complex and when she yes. came to New York to be a writer in the way that I think so many of us have a Nora Ephron complex well you sent that extract to me the other day and I'd never read it before and it was in response to because I sort of I wrote this piece about romance fiction and about how every if any woman is doing a any kind of writing about women's lives that is commercial <laughs> sorry that's my dog <laughs> Hi, she's really getting, getting up there. I'm, I'm very sorry. She's in heat at the moment. So she's quite pungent and I looking... I strange. God, um, maybe it's me. Sylvia <laughs> has a, a sapphic side. She is quite sapphic, yeah. I mean, she's got the shoulders for it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, the new Nora Ephron and the new Bridget Jones. And it's like, it's great the first time you hear it, but then you see all of your peers who get called the same thing and you're like, oh, this actually means nothing to be called the new Nora Ephron just means for a man to say, or a person who doesn't generally like the genre you work in to say, oh, this is um, kind of facile and about women's lives, but don't worry, it's actually kind of okay, you know? I am excited to see a really beautiful copy of Rebecca, which is normally, it's far too highbrow for it to be the kind of book that would catch my the 80th anniversary edition. It's gorgeous. Oh, and Sarah Perry wrote the introduction. She That's did. Um, but I am a big fan of your podcast, Sentimental Garbage, about commercial women's fiction and the titles we fall in love with. And I've noticed you do keep coming back to Rebecca. Oh my God, I was so embarrassed by that. I wanted my producer Hannah to get cut it out because I was like, oh my, I'm like those people. Just everything, it's the new Rebecca. <laughs> I know. I, it's like, yeah, we've had two episodes so far. One about Marion Keys and one about Eva Rice. And I managed to reference Rebecca and Daphne du Maurier in both of them. And I feel very embarrassed. I feel like those teenagers on the internet who think everything is Harry Potter. <laughs> um, but I just I just love Rebecca. And do you know what? I came to Daphne du Maurier relatively, I don't know, late, about maybe three or four years ago. And it was one of those kind of splurges where I started with Rebecca, went on to my cousin Rachel, went on to make it in and just like read most of her novels in a summer. And then obviously everything I wrote sounded a bit like I was trying to be Daphne de Maurier. Oh, but... I wonder about that a lot with stealing, because that's something that's come up a bit. And do you right. think, is she your your most stolen voice, do you think, as a writer? Not... You, oh, God. Have you managed to shake it off? I don't know. I do think that um, Promise a Young Woman, which is my debut novel that came out in June, uh that there is a sort of a you know how like Daphne loves big houses and like mm. rambling rooms and going into different wings of different places that sort of sense of the gothic that sort of sense yeah um, I feel like in my book there's a bit of like that happens but in a big advertising agency in Soho it's like she's always rambling into different rooms and they're kind of always closing in on her and stuff and I feel like I wanted to bring a little bit of the gothic house narrative but to an everyday workplace I don't know if I don't know if I, really I succeeded. Love that. I, I think that's amazing. <laughs> because yeah, like um because our homes aren't what they used to be. Do you know what I mean? Do you know like back in sort of 20th century when people spent their whole lives, you know, their whole day in the one place and that place took on sort of spiritual meaning and mm. it grew its own personality, but we don't spend as much time in our own houses. We spend them at work and so those places take on their own meaning and their own spirit you know so true we're millennials the housing market does not support <laughs> yeah. our need for space to ramble in which who's what fictional house rather would you most like to squat in given the chance oh my goodness do you know what i just finished and it's not here because i had an audiobook do you know brother of the more famous jack yes Trapido, i love oh that. my god i just finished it and it was heaven like this, so so it's like this um sort of academic Jewish English family mm. living in Sussex and yes, that's it. And they've got this sort of bucolic wonderland. And I can't remember what oh, the wife's yeah. called, but she's always sort of out planting and Jane. creating Jane. Yes, and um, it's kind of like they don't have a dishwasher, and all the kids are sort of like chopping things and sort of going in and out, and they they write all their phone messages in crayon on the unpainted walls, and it's just fa- I would live with that family. I would 
have sex with every member of that family in that book. <laughs> there, it's, there are there's things. Like, I think she does, doesn't she? She, really? she has two, yeah, two of the three men plus their um, childhood friend. So she really gets around in that book, but you can see why, because it's such a sensorial sort of, everyone's always talking about each other's genitals all the time in a way you just don't get in big house English books. Well, can you remember the first sexy book you read where you had an inkling of this idea that, it, or what? that, you know, you thought, there's something going on here that I've never encountered before and that I might get into trouble if somebody caught me reading oh, this. yes, absolutely. So... The original isn't here, but the sequel is here. Oh, um, so the flowers in the attic. This oh my so, God, Virginia Andrews! So yes. well thumbed, you can see the spine has been broken. That is a like properly it's been on a rack, shattered spine. <laughs> um, so that's the sequel. That's Petals on the Wind, which has even more sex than the first. Which, um, these covers used to terrify me. I'm sure they've been reissued since, but I'm just gonna describe, get a great oral picture. <laughs> Black cover. Um, a very stylized rose shedding its petals with um, sexy incest twins as a sort of an inset picture with chrome um, lettering. This must, oh have cost, must have cost a lot of money to do this in 1980. Yeah, and I remember the original Flowers in the Attic, it had um, sort of the house and the windowsill and then in the in the insert was um, the, the family. God, the brother and sister and that they both look like they're about... 47. I know, and they're supposed to be like 16 and 20. It really aged them. Um, It really, it ages people. (laughs) Um, So for those who don't know, the Flowers in the Attic series was this um, series about this four kids um, who are stuck in the attic of a old, old mansion called Foxworth Hall. And uh, their mother has put them up there because she has to try and win her inheritance back off her dying father. And he can never know that she had children. And so they're up there for three or four years. And it's like through these, like you know, the key developmental stages. So I think they're 14, 16. And then there's two young twins who are about six going into the attic. But they're there for about four years. So they sort of sexually develop. And they end up in this sort of incestuous um, relationship that plagues them their whole life and throughout these several books they try and escape this pull they have on each other but they can't because they've been so you know neglected like and abused and but like you and Sylvie here who keeps trying to shag your leg I'm very sorry um, but I, I read that I read Flowers in the Attic when I was about 12 and it, I think it was the first time I ever came across how not, did it come into your life did someone give it to you my sister I never forget it she, my sister's 10 years older than me um, so she came in with it with like hidden behind her back and then she presented like she had smuggled it in from like a pirate ship and then she like just produced it and she was just like you need to read this and you know when your sister tells you to read anything you're a bit like go away you don't (laughs) you don't know me and then I started reading it and it was just the most compelling thing ever and it was I don't think it was the first time I'd ever seen sex in a book but it was the first time I'd ever had like the wrong dark horrible love affair that should never exist and should never even be spoken or thought about mm, because sex is the book and it is so clearly wrong sex oh so so unbelievably wrong but and it was one of those moments where it's like i can't believe people are legally allowed to write about this well, you know in a weird way because i read um my sweet Audrina first I don't did you i've not across. read that one. <gasps> oh, it's it's basically the same it's um to do a massive spoiler um the heroine Audrina is raped as a child and Ooh. rather get a therapy. They just pretend that it's her non-existent elder sister who was tragically murdered and that she's got to live up to her legacy and they do it by wiping her memory and holding seances and not having any crooks in the house and that always great. it is amazing I love that and it's one of those books where like everybody's mum is their sister and everybody's uncle is their dad oh. you know in um in Love Island when um Danny, Danny Dyer, girl Danny Dyer, um, yeah. her, her granddad is granddad bruv because she wanted a brother when she was little and she didn't have one. So her granddad's like, oh, I'll be your brother. So it's granddad oh, bruv. that's so cute. And it's cute. But so that's cute. the, uh, My Sweet Audrina is a creepy literal version. But like, that's um, Virginia Andrews, VC Andrews. Mm. That was her whole deal. Like, she, and her whole deal was like, she, um, she was this woman, she was um, wheelchair bound and uh, she lived with her mother. And there was journalists, like very, very rarely would she allow journalists into her and she would always um, feed them powdered sugar donuts. And that's how one of the kids in her books dies, by eating poison donuts. So she had a real sense of her own mythology, you know. So it sounds quite Grey Gardens-y. Yeah, no, it was very that, very, very that. Um, But I do remember with that reading, being sort of stunned because I'd read a lot of books that were 
beautifully written and being very, very glad to read them, but that you were kind of allowed to issue literary merit for telling this creepy compulsive story. Right. And I think I got quite a giddy, like a contact high on the fact yeah. that it wasn't elegant and so structured strange. and plotted in a way that okay, so it's like, everything open, else open I knew was. Open that book on any page and read out a sentence because it's the most clunky, strange... It feels like badly translated from another language, except it's written in English. I hated the spiteful witch now. Really detested her. What's he done that was so terrible? Julia drowned his three-year-old son. <laughs> There's nothing on earth that would make me take the life of my child. I don't need revenge that much. I agree, she said, back to the mild tone now. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I too would not kill my son to have vengeance on my... And do you know what that, that, that scene you, you just read? I think Flowers in the Attic could actually be my mastermind subject. Um, that scene you just read is from the smallest subplot of like somebody murdering their own son and it's like a tiny subplot it, present for a single chapter. There's so much drama and kid killing in these books. It's insane. When you wrote your book, mm. were you thinking about this sort of thing and how freeing it was because obviously there are lots of plots and things that kind of come in they don't go anywhere and did you feel like I must write this perfect taut beautiful brilliantly crafted book which you know for the record I'm gonna lick oh, your ass I think yours is or did you was the fear of not doing it bigger than the fear of it not being perfect oh that's such a yeah I think that I think fear is a really interesting word to use about writing fiction isn't it because especially like fiction is the, the the kind of reading that most people fall in love with first right no one starts with like a historical biography of the Romanovs do they you know they, they start with business not, skills for dummies uh, yeah, business secrets of the pharaohs <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so everyone starts with novels don't they and so like they, they, they have such an esteemed place and I feel like everyone falls in love with that medium first who loves books and, mm. and to eat there's such a narcissism with even admitting that you're trying to mm. write a book and it was very scary and I think as well and this is like the advice I always give to um, people who ask me you know how to write and finish a novel because I think that's what people struggle with getting past that kind of first 10,000 yeah. words and I said it just like tell people that you're writing a novel and like when, when, you're, when your friend says like are you coming to my birthday party say I can't because I'm doing my novel and don't tell her what it's about, but tell her that you're doing it because you make a verbal contract with these people. Every time you don't go to their thing so mm. that you can do your thing, you're like, okay, well, shit, I've, I've basically promised I've got to do this now. I can't not do it. There, there are a lot of plot strands in my book that don't go anywhere that I just sort of like add for atmosphere or for vibe. And... But the other thing is, one forgets. I said very grandly, one forgets. Um, <laughs> that's life, isn't it? <laughs> Life is just up. a load of plot strands that mostly don't go anywhere. Right? Like, the amount of people who you're in your life who you're like, well, I thought there was a vibe there, but I guess not. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, yeah, and there is kind of like, you know, a sort of a, a witchy kind of character and there's sort of like allusions towards magical realism and you never quite find out whether or not that exists. And I think that... Do you know what, actually? This is so s silly. But I was watching Gladiator the other day and I love Gladiator. Do you love Gladiator? <laughs> the Russell Crowe film. <laughs> um, I, I, I like the 90s one with Wolf and the, the foam pugil sticks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Everyone I, has their own I Gladiator. Know. I'm um, familiar. But, oh God, my hairband's falling off. Um, but what I love about that film is that like, I mean the plot is fine, but like there's this real, they, they hint to a lot of the world. You know, there's this whole sort of like thing with um, Joaquin Phoenix's character and his sister and they're sort of hinting towards an incestuous relationship God, I'm back in incest again but um, <laughs> I love incest I fancy both my brothers um, and uh, but it's never quite clarified there's definitely a history there there's also hinted at that maybe this woman's son is Russell Crowe's son but we never quite get the full story and we get the sense that everybody has a pre-existing relationship or has a vibe going on but we never have to learn exactly what it was and I love when books give you that feeling yeah you know of like kind of the opposite <laughs> Virginia Andrews yeah actually it is like, yeah oh no I hate you because you killed yeah. my son <laughs> I love, when, I love when you just feel like you're just dropping in on this world that existed long before you and will exist long after you uh, I've just spotted uh, a sexy book that one of our other subjects has oh. as well and it's interesting to notice what keeps coming up on people's shelves it's How to Save Your Own <gasps> Life by Erica John I love that book that is a 
fabulous cover. And it must have... Is that a first edition? I'm going to put Ginny on the table. I don't know. Because it says the new best-selling novel by the author of Fear of Flying. So this must be an original paperback, I'm guessing. Oh, wow. And who... Yeah, lots of these books, Caroline, have other people's names and addresses in. There's a number at the top. Oh, my God. Who is this? number. This is um, Lombard Street. <laughs> I don't it's know got why. two that... addresses. I don't know there's, why that's there. There's Lombard Street address. And then there's um, a different one that's 14, the William Bly, which might be a pub, I'm guessing. So I have listened to your podcast a lot. And I noticed that almost all of your guests... Um, are all about sort of not, uh, you know, not turning down the pages and not writing in the books. I basically read my books with my feet. Like, I am the worst book owner ever. And I will often, if I'm on the phone, actually, that is my handwriting at the front. <laughs> I've just realised. It is, yeah. When I'm on the phone, I'm just like looking for a piece of something so to jump down. So is this like down. a notepad? Yeah, basically a notepad. I assume this was, these were people from the 70s. Because these are just giving out the personal <laughs> details of people you've been corresponding with. I think, with. I, honestly, I think I must have been on the phone and I had a meeting somewhere and I needed a notepad and I just would scroll it on the front. And that is how much respect I have for literature. <laughs> I've got to describe the sexy cover. Okay. Because the thought it's kind of got a... I don't what's the word? There must be a proper word for this font. There must be a name that's not like Boogie Nights font. It's it not is quite really that nice striking, font, but it's that it? slightly groovy. And it's sort of half a, a very eyelashed, heavily um, made up face and kind of, you can see like an open mouth. Looks like she's snogging herself in a mirror. It does. It's very like, you can almost hear her saying, shut <laughs> <laughs> Um I love Erica Zhang. Uh, I think she's fantastic. And do you know what? I had a bit of an existential crisis when I read that book because uh, I think I read it like maybe a year and a half ago. I found it in my parents' sort of... Parents have a caravan in Kerry and it was just there next to their bed, tellingly. Um, and, uh, right. Right. And there's some very interesting descriptions of sex. But uh, she writes about women's lives and how they feel about their partners in a way that when you're a woman, when you're a young woman and you first start writing about your life and you kind of think like wow no one's ever written about the female life like this before and then you realize there was this whole slew of women in the 70s who were writing about like sex and the pill and whether or not they're going to blow their husband and like all this like really detailed nuanced dirty like complicated stuff and you're like oh my generation thought we were the first and I guess we weren't (laughs) I think what I loved about this book is that she really doesn't like her husband and she's Allowed to say that. And also they seem as terrible as each other. Oh, they're awful. They're truly awful. And they're like, her, the way she observes sex with other people. Like there's this point I where like she's... Rosanna, the lesbian millionaire who wears a lot of musk. Oh my God, I love... Those lesbian scenes were fantastic. There was a, something, she has this brilliant line. She says something like, um, it felt more cultural than physical. <laughs> like, what does that mean? <laughs> Tried it once, didn't like it. Yeah, it felt more cultural than physical. Like, wow, what the hell? I think it's interesting, though. I don't know if sex in books is more or less politicised than it was in the 70s. Mm. And whether there are people... You know, when I think about how Erica Jong is a sort of real feminist pioneer and then the contempt that other the sexy writers of today are held in, it doesn't it's seem fair. It's interesting, isn't it? Well, I suppose um, in the 70s, the tradition of feminism, the whole mantra was the personal is the political. Mm. So then, and we often have that with the sort of online, you know, I, I work for the pool and, and so do you, and the sort of online sphere of feminism that like to even speak about these things is political in itself. Mm. And I think women in the 70s, they truly, really took that to heart. And I mm. feel like Erica Zhang did feel like she was doing something socially important by describing a man going down mm. on her. And I, I agree with her, you know? And I wish we could buy back some of that credibility. Yeah. You know? Because like, you know, sex writing is really difficult. Like, even if it seems operatic and strange when you're reading it and you're like, oh, who on earth has sex like this? Well, no one. But, you know, people don't act the way they do in books either. That's why they're books and, you know... At school, when I did drama, I wasn't good, but a lot of it was in the exams. You had to, I conveyed surprise by raising my hands to my face and widening my mouth. (gasps) And so forth. And I think sometimes writing sex is a bit like that. And you can get quite caught up in the, well, would this work physically? (laughs) You're there, kind of at a desk, trying to put your elbow behind your neck and lift your leg up. Is Is this real? Is this a thing? Writing a genuinely sexy scene mm. is the hardest thing in the world. Um, literally. Um, but, <laughs> um, there's a scene in my book, Promising Women, that I um, 
I wanted to write something that was like not like because they have quite a can be quite a tumultuous sexual relationship. Mm. It can be quite um, not it's in it's, violent in places. There are definitely bits with with Clem and Jane. Um, Jane is our protagonist. Our protagonist, Caroline's protagonist. I can't. <laughs> our protagonist. And um, Clem is the. I don't know how would you describe the main, not the main one, but he's. Yeah, he's the, the focus, the, the main focus. Of they the have relationship. a relationship and yeah. he's the focus of that and it's a toxic relationship in all sorts of ways. But definitely bits where I think, this is really hot, but I'm troubled by myself for thinking that. Yeah, there's this bit where, and I, I, find, I found it quite, I had to sort of like get up from my computer and sort of like splash cold water on my face for a bit, where um, he, um, they're in a bed, a bed somewhere and he pins her arms down and he has, he's, basically he's found her lipstick on the ground somewhere and he puts it in his mouth and he starts drawing on her with the lipstick and it's sort of like that mix between sort of giggly and like this is quite forceful and dominant mm. and quite strange you know and I think finding those like strange weird oh I can see how this would be sexy sort of moments are I love coming up with them you know because you do because the details so good and that's what you need to make it leap off the page and translate yeah it's the silly things that people actually do in bed as opposed mm. to just like and then he grabbed her my breast uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean there's so much nipple sucking in, in books oh, isn't there oh your shapely mounds he moaned <laughs> normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We'll be back to you, Caroline, soon. But now I want to tell you about my Steal of the Week, a book I loved so much that it felt wrong just paying the cover price and not telling the shop to stick another couple of zeros on the end. This week, it's the poet Patricia Lockwood's memoir, Priest Daddy, which was published by Alan Lane in 2017. This is the story of Patricia's relationship with her family and her partner and how it was defined by her prog-rock-loving, trouser-hating father's decision to become a Catholic priest, despite having five children. Lockwood is one of the few writers who can create a breathtakingly beautiful joke. She bends language to her will as if she had a blowtorch and a soldering iron. It's tender, honest, and every single page contains at least one heartbreaking sentence and at least five hilarious ones. Lockwood's voice is like no other. I utterly bloody adored this. Now back to Caroline. Are there any um, books here or books you've come across that have memorably awful sex scenes? We have to stop talking about sex. What's wrong with me? Yes. Oh my goodness. So, Louise Mensch. I've read Louise Mensch, but I've not read that one. Um, this is Career Game. It's a sequel to Career Girls. And Louise Mensch, she used to be Louise Bagshaw. And when she was Louise Bagshaw, she wrote the filthiest, most compelling books I have ever read. Is and Career Girls, is that the one where one of them's a scriptwriter? And there are two women, or the, oh no, one of no. them is the editor of the, the show. Or Music Magazine. Yes. Yeah. And it's when, because she was going out with the Metallica manager. 
in real life. Okay. Is that right? So the deal with, and I'm actually, um, if you, I'm doing an episode on Louise Mensch <gasps> um, for Sentimental Garbage. So essentially the Career Girl saga is about these two women who meet in Oxford. One of them is sort of a, you know, child of privilege, mm, you know, hundreds of years of aristocrats. Like she's an American. Yes, she's from Joyzy. <laughs> she's, um, her name is Topaz and she's like an Italian-American scholarship kid and basically they get into a war over who sleeps with whose boyfriend that lasts their entire life. Topaz goes on to like be the head of essentially like Hearst magazines. Um, Rowena, the other one, becomes like this big music manager and they sort of like destroy other people's lives in this kind of... Rowena! Yes, Rowena Krebs! And they destroy each other's lives in this sort of quest for vengeance um and they just are always having they're never having fun and they have no friends but they're always having the most upsetting sex oh but i have such a boner though for those in bonk busters and it's so good in yeah. lace as well when like women doing business and they're always like <laughs> they really do it's so <laughs> doing they business. just look amazing and they're you know it's um they're always um oh, I love you know it. crystal carrington in a void room with earrings doing takeovers and i think judy uh, kranz does that a bit as well and i'm sorry it's better than the actual so sex 80s, scenes with like it? the storming and and it's always completely ludicrous like 10 billion dollars on the table what I love about Louise Mensch as well is that she writes these like um, her, these characters who are like she's the best in the business mm. and the sexiest legs kind of thing <laughs> um, and it's like she's like and, and uh, Topaz stormed in there and she said here's how I'm going to save you 2 million dollars and then and, and then it's like and then she laid out her plan because <laughs> Louise Mensch can't yeah. pick up a plan <laughs> she's just like then she laid out the plan <laughs> and then she used her business skills which were as good, if not even better than her sexual skills, which I can report about. <laughs> it is literally exactly that. It's the most fun you will ever have reading the biggest amount of trash. And I love it. Oh my God. I literally opened a random page. Okay, this isn't an outward sex scene, but it's a kind of a nice... Joe stiffened. She made herself sound like a reward, like a toy, like a slave girl handed to Caesar, Caesar as some sort of booty. God damn, he hadn't had sex in a week, maybe more, and she was throwing herself at him with that soft skin, those limpid eyes, and those ferocious, unstoppable curves. He couldn't deny it. He would just love to see what those curves look like naked in real life. (laughs) Oh my God, that's magnificent. Oh, I love it. Oh, I just, I could inhale these things one after another, like candy floss. And the thing is, it's easy to make fun of when you, your pals are over and you're like, haha, isn't this ridiculous? But when you're in the heat of the moment of reading it, you're like, I'm a bit excited now, oh, yeah. actually. <laughs> For sure. On this, let me see what else I... Yes, oh, why? Someone is... chewed your copy of Someone Hotel Dulac. or some dog. Oh, is, is the offender right here? The offender is right here licking my hand. Had you read it before it got no, eaten? No, I hadn't. You're on page 66. And you know what? This is um, Anita Bruckner's Hotel Dulac and I thought it was bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so mad at the dog for chewing it and then I actually went on reading it and I was like, do you know what? This isn't great. I think, I think Anita Bruckner is so boring. So you think that Sylvie did you a favour? I think she's here. very she discerning, really actually. That. Although it is a beautiful edition and I'm very annoyed because it's quite expensive. The, is this a first edition? I think it's second or third. It's, it's a hardback and it's got the, the dust jacket. And um... Yeah, I found it in... Um, I live in South East London and um, I got it from the Blackheath Bookshop, which is fabulous. I also got that beautiful Muriel Spark, Prime of Miss Jean Brodie, which I'm very proud of. Over oh, there, um, it's gorgeous. Book. Is that a folio? It is. Yeah, I got I got the two of them together for about fifteen pounds. Yeah, I know. I'm looking at this really beautiful, beautiful prime of Miss Jean Brodie. Oh gosh, and illustrations by Beryl Cook. Had you? Um, when did you first read Muriel Spark? This was the first one I had read, um, and it was just because um, I'd always heard the prime of Miss Jean Brodie. You know, as sort of the Maggie Smith film, I kind of dimly remembered it. Uh, and I was like, okay, fine. But I always thought Muriel Spark was going to be kind of like an Anita Bruckner in the Ooh. sense that just sort of an important lady novelist. And I just thought, I started reading that book and then I stopped, got a pencil because I knew, I had, you have to read Muriel Spark with a pencil under every line. You have brilliantly, and it's one of the best and most known, I think, um, bits in this with, yeah. um. can you do a Scottish accent? I oh no, not at all, not okay. at all. Do you want to read this? Oh, but oh. your your annotation is such a fabulous bitch. <laughs> For those who like that sort of thing, said Miss Brodie in her best Edinburgh voice, that is the sort of thing they like. <laughs> and just um yeah, Miss Jean Brodie just sort of this um fascist sympathizing 
woman who just believes that um, girls should only be educated to appreciate beauty and art and that maths is a waste of time, that uh, sports is a waste of time. And I just loved it. That there's a joke on every single sentence. I, do, I love this idea that she's got these young girls, women in her care, mm-hmm. and she assigns them all a personality a bit like being in the Spice Girls and that yes. the top of the pops is saying, you're sporty, you're ginger, and how they all evolve and grow up to become people who absolutely thwart those labels but they still remain a bit kind of frozen by what she how she has cast them that's such a oh god you're so good at reading such a good good insight because yeah you have like um what is it sandra is the main character Yes, Sandra, um, Sandra, is she the one who becomes a nun? Spoiler. Yes, spoiler, spoiler, is that she um she has a affair with uh, the kind of art teacher or something mm. to that effect. And, and, uh, Even Ms- though there's a different girl who's supposed to be famous for sex. Yes, Rosie is famous mm. for sex. And uh, and, and she, then she, Sandra, she goes on to write a uh, book about religion and people come to her cell because everyone loves to visit a nun in a cell, as uh, uh, Spark says at some point. And they say to her, who are your influences? Who did you read? And then the final, the final uh, line of the book, and I love this, is as, she says, well, there was once a Miss Jean Brodie in her prime. And I just, that just fills me and feeds me in a way that it's like, I don't know, for some reason, I don't know why that destroys me, but it does. You know, that this kind of owly little woman who had all these mad ideas about life and about girls, about what women should be, could cast such an indelible die on these women, you know, it's, it kills me. It's like the world will take you at your own estimation if you yes. present yourself as a person yes. of influence. That's you exactly it. Have that influence. Exactly it, yeah. It's... I can see you've got a book that I absolutely loved here. Oh my God, what a complete Ashling yeah. by um, Ema. Ema McLeisett and Sarah Breen. Oh, thank you. They're the most fabulous girls in the world. And what I love about the Ashling series is two books now and I love them both um, is that they capture something about Irish modern womanhood that nobody else has tried to capture before which is sort of a very specific kind of being an Irish basic bitch and I love that and I feel like they really push the envelope on what we expect from Irish women novelists and I feel I, like I don't know if you know this but I love it I think my friend Jude um, hello Jude hello, is Jude the one who told me this that it was born out of a Facebook page yes, no, and it was born was out a... of a conversation it's like who would wear brown mascara yes who wears, who's keeping brown mascara alive that's who how is brown began. mascara for but um, when I was in college in uni um, in Ireland they, I was a, a follower of that Facebook group and me and my housemates used to howl laughing at it and I couldn't believe when it became a book and I also found out that Sarah Breen she used to um, edit Ireland's only teen mag which was called Kiss Magazine Kiss Magazine and um, my first ever thing that I published was a letter to the editor that one star letter and Sarah had picked it and now she's like a buddy which is mad what did you win? did you win a prize? I won a bag of Rimmel makeup oh my god I I bet you were just like yes it was honestly it was the first time in my whole life that I'd because I I talk about this a lot with people because I uh, entered so many like short story competition essays competitions and I never ever heard back and I always thought well I mustn't be a real writer but I heard back from Kiss Magazine and my favourite magazine and you won I they won the makeup which is still all I ever really want right? to get if someone to ring me up now and say you won a competition have a bag of makeup but I'd I know over the moon and to go full circle on the whole thing I believe the lipstick in there was brown. Ooh. <laughs> well, was it the nineties? Um, I think it would have been two thousand and two. Yeah, that would have been brown for sure. Yeah. Oh, it would have been brown. <laughs> what I think, the, I think the letter about? The letter was about um, mobile phones <laughs> and <laughs> how um, I all the girls in my classes wanted mobile phones, but I was very deliberately not getting one because I thought that that much communication between people was bad for them. <laughs> <laughs> And to this day, you have no phone, right? And to this day, I have no phone and no social media. <laughs> Untrue. You, was that one of the things that did first make you think, I can do this? Yeah, it was completely. It was so important because I am... Um, I always feel very left out of other writers' conversations because I find almost everyone I know who publishes books, um, they were like very clever clogs in school, they did very well in school, and I always did really, really badly, and I always thought I was really stupid, and I always got Ds and Fs. And even in English, I was good at writing stories, but I couldn't ever quite answer the questions in the right way, and I could never quite 
handle it or I don't know what was going wrong but I always felt very stupid and I always thought that like journalism and writing was for smart people and like it was like little things like that that made me feel like oh maybe it isn't just for clever people you know that's so interesting because I should say that me and Caroline are friends I just <laughs> and in knowing you I just assumed you'd be one of those you know naturally smart well, people thank you so much for assuming that but no very much not I uh, yeah, I felt very dense for a lot of my life. So thank you to Kiss Magazine. Thank you, Kiss Magazine. Starting Caroline on the path. Thank you, Sarah. I've just spied Elvis and <gasps> Me by Priscilla Presley. I think we might have this book. But yes. I These pictures are amazing. How did this come into your life? It. So I went to Graceland a couple of years ago. Um, I went on a tour of the um, oh. the southern states and um, we ended it in Graceland and I, I really have a, very, a, a big soft spot for Elvis Presley in my life oh my god she's so beautiful she's just like look at her mascara she's so she looks like you know those pictures of like Morgan Fairchild from infomercials in the early 90s oh yes it's a very yes. in I the nicest that kind way of peachy 70s 80s yes. glow that people have it's, it's very... very vaseline on the lens but i think that's yes. probably her real skin i think so too um so i came to this book because um me and my boyfriend we went on a three-week trip of the american southern states beginning in atlanta looping around louisiana flying to texas and then finally ending up in memphis where i spent my last hundred dollars going to see graceland and i've got a real like soft spot for elvis it's like the music i listened to growing up my dad um, was huge huge into him and that's the first kind of songs I remember but um, you know I was going around the uh, Graceland and have you ever been? I've never been to Graceland It's an incredibly moving experience going to Graceland especially if you've grown up with him um, and because it, it's it's weird because it shouldn't be moving because you're going around and it's like you have your little iPad thing that's connected to the speakers and it's like you go into every room and it's narrated by John Stamos and he's like here wow. here you will see the jungle room and like <laughs> And and the the staff, which is like every teenager in Memphis, is employed there, and they're like, yeah, just listen to John Stamos and come into the next room, and it's like, okay, okay. But for some reason, what's really funny about being in Graceland is that um, when you're European, you're used to going into like, you know, oh, this stately home where you could here's all the framed cutlery and here's all the and we're used to history being quite there all the time mm. because America is comparatively quite young. They have to make a lot out of a little. So that you're the fact that you're being guided through this house like it's a museum and everything's from the seventies is a really weird feeling and you almost feel like history kind of running up to catch you. And then it ends at Elvis's grave. And it's just, I don't know, for some reason, it's a really emotional thing. And I, everyone ends up in tears. I was just weeping on Elvis's grave oh, in the back like, garden. I guess it's a whole life, isn't it? Yeah, 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 you go through the whole, through. yeah, you do you go through his whole life because you go through his costumes, his awards, his TVs, and they do sort of arrange it chronologically. And it's like, well, here's the front room where he would entertain his family. But then you end up in the basement where actually he spent most of his time. He was quite sad and he had a substance abuse problem and... You know, it is it is a, it's a very emotional thing. He, he's not definitely not a perfect person at all. Like, I mean, he became her boyfriend when she was thirteen, and he was like twenty. Could we forget? And he, Don't he we? Just ab- how abducted her. You know, she was living in Germany with her um, parents, um, and he was like, "You should come finish school in Memphis, live in Graceland. We won't have sex. You can you can live under my parents' stewardship." And they he eventually like deflowered her at sixteen. Yeah, it's a it's an intense book. It's very very troubling to think of a you know him seeing a, a child essentially going oh that one. I know it's very fu- I don't know I don't know how to parse that either. I don't want to end on Elvis as sort of death, the death and sadness and creepiness. So the love of witch books here about um, your your magical books, occult witchcraft and magic. So this is a fantastic. I'll, I'll take you through all of them. A brief history of magic over here. Um, so here is the occult witchcraft and magic, um, which is a really really good overview of sort of European magical traditions. Um, then over here is the witches, which is a brilliant history of the Salem witch trials. Um, really properly good book, and I generally hate biographies. Then I've got my fiction, like I've got the witches of Eastwick here. I have practical magic over there um, and then I have all my tarot collection ah. here um, so these are some of the decks um, yeah so that's so these are beautiful there's a real collection how are they yeah. diff- do you use them together or for different times um, different, different times for different moods um, for different people sometimes I mean it sounds very woo woo but some people like for example this one um, is the Aquarian tarot and that is based on art deco illustration 
Oh, this is beautiful. Where did you get this? Did you, did you... I just picked them up um, um, whenever it? I go. I actually streamlined recently. I do give some of them away as I go. Um, and I think there's more in there and in my bedroom. But uh, I, whenever I go traveling somewhere, I try and pick up something. That's quite a common one. Um, this one is Wiccan. Oh, wow. Um, this one so is Chinese. Gorgeous kind of. <laughs> it's a pink gauzy bag and there are some beautiful leaves and tendrils on the back and I see a... Yeah. Um, it, it's actually... What's, what's cool about it is... Um, you, so this is a Chinese one, this is a Mexican one, the Game of Thrones one up there. Wow. Um, and what's really fun is like, do you know how it, with the Rosetta Stone, it's like, um, you know, okay, if you, if you know one of these languages, then you could decipher the other languages yeah. kind of thing. And that's the sort of idea. Um, it's kind of the same with tarot. If you know the meaning of one card um, or all of the cards, um, then you can, when you look at the same card in the Chinese deck, you see how the Chinese interpret that theme. So you're like, oh, okay, hope is represented by this certain bird or this certain flower. And you end up getting these like very interesting cultural understanding of other cultures that you wouldn't know about. Anyways. So I'm a massive, massive tarot fan. There's quite a few guides here as well. Um, there's Jessica Crispin's The Creative Tarot. There's Michelle T's Modern Tarot, which is the best book if you want to learn tarot yourself at home. Are you, how much are you allowed to tell us about your next novel um, and when is that out? Oh, well, um, so I actually have two books in the work right now. Ooh, uh, my, so my next novel, um, the working title is Home Bodies. Um, it's about this girl who is a second generation Irish. Her father's Irish. She's from Essex. She's a filmmaker who is making this film about her father's early life which is marred by this big um, kind of Aberfan-esque tragedy that happened in Ireland. And then she uh, is sent back there because she's going to a film festival and ends up in his old town um, where everything is not quite as it seems and it becomes quite a Scooby-Doo mystery. Um, so, I, yeah, so I'm, I'm sort of in the final stages of that at the moment. Um, it's probably coming out in 2020, I imagine. And then I have another book that I'm working on that is about tarot. Um, and it's a sort of um, essay book about, it's not so much a guide as it is about kind of what I just told you about, like, you know, what different signs and symbols means and how they relate to women and all that kind of thing. I haven't got it quite figured out, but they've given me money, so I have to write it. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm really, really excited that you're writing about it. I, I, I hope so too. I mean, I have many questions, but they will be answered by the book. <laughs> So I, I love it. It's a, it's a big hobby of mine. And um, there are lots of other people who could probably, who've probably been doing it for years more than I could, who could do more things. But I just think that there, it's more of a universal hobby than people give it credit for. That's the, uh... Okay, so we're in the hallway now. Um, oh, well, there's Diana Mosley down there. Ah. Which I believe you gave me that book. Diana Mosley, another very controversial character. She did was... I? What? I think you did. Well, Diana mostly name it for it. And uh, that is a book of her collected journalism. I'm pretty sure you gave it to me. Think, oh, The Pursuit of Laughter. Yes, I had two of those. Is that is that the letters between them? Or? No, that's not the letters, which I also love. Um, this is uh, Diana's, who was the third? So it was Nancy, then Pam, then Diana. She was the third. God, I always get, for some reason, I don't know why, I always think Diana's the eldest. I know, because she I think was... she's quite... You know, a, if you, once you don't go into the, the the fascist years, she's got a kind of a Jane Bennett quality, I think. She does. And like, there's something very fascinating about um, Diana, because yes, she was, um, she was married to Oswald Mosley, founder of the British fascist... Uh, party as as they knew it then and uh i'm really sad because hideous, she's married to um brian guinness. guinness brian guinness you're right um and they just have these lovely lavish parties and they seem to have these like insane parties every week that cost a million pounds like why why would you do, go and fall in love with a terrible terrible fascist and go to prison why not have the parties and the dresses and the the froth and the nonsense <laughs> i like the froth and nonsense well i know it's same but what, what i love about diana not obviously there's so much to not like but what I do like about her is that she was she was one of those posh people who just like once she had made up her mind about something she would never go back she would never apologize and the idea of a Mitford apologizing or explaining their mm. behavior is insane you know they just like Jessica Mitford who's sort of the one that everyone loves mm. was the same she just was yeah. all about the communist party and she's did some dreadful things. She sold their mother's retirement island without telling her, <laughs> out of spite. Um, and I just think that they were so 
just like, well, this is what I'm doing, and if you don't like it, da -da 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 -da. and they just stuck to their guns to a fault, which makes them so compelling as sisters. And to how they reconciled that with who they are, and that they're still very much a family and very much a unit, even yeah. when totally opposed. Oh god, and then you know, you know those the books, the book where the letters, letters from six mm. sisters, where you get to the end and it's just Diana and Debo left, and they're just. Oh, it's just so heartbreaking as you see the letters between them start to peel off, you know, because they've time has claimed them. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I find that book very affecting. I go back to it a lot. I see some really very chunky books here. Um, that's really enormous. I love how you've got David Foster Wallace and Jonathan Franzen hanging out together, being manly, oh, getting their bro on. There's two big bookcases. One of them belongs to my boyfriend Gavin, who is a designer and they're mostly books about design. Um, one of them is my books, which is mostly novels. And then this bookcase over here is MISC. We haven't quite decided who owns what. We haven't quite put them in things. Although there is one of my books here, which is Jermaine Greer's The ah, Boy. <laughs> which is... That. I bought this um, from that same bookshop where I bought Muriel Sparks' book. Um, basically because basically it's um, absolutely bizarre. Um, I what? love how we've got three quarters of a nipple on the cover. I know. And uh, on a boy. So it's Jermaine Greer, um, no nutter, um, <laughs> decided that um, true equality between the sexes means that women should be able to fantasise about preteen men um, the same way that men fantasise about preteen women and uh, that it was her right to objectify young young boys and it's just a book of nude boys I mean lots of them I should say are Paint, paintings Painting. and art yes that's true it's not, it is legal for Caroline to own this book it is legal yes, it's not, it is not outright pornography and, and do you know what I I don't agree with Jermaine Greer on, on lots and lots of things, but I sort of like, well, I guess you went and did it, bitch. <laughs> I guess you really got this published. And it's um something that just fascinates me about it, you know, that... I don't know if you ever find this, but there's, you know, the chutzpah of Yeah, it. that's the and word for it. And books come out and you think, oh, I didn't know you were allowed to do a book on that. I would have had a go. Yeah, look at all these willies. So many. Also lots of... um. I guess it's the classical way, but I see a lot more ball sacks than willies. Yes, they really were quite proud of ball sacks back then, weren't they? I wonder what that was about. Mm. Maybe it's our modern diet and lifestyles that sort of shrunk them a bit, made them less prominent. <laughs> it's mobile phones, Caroline. Mobile phones. Mobile phones. I was right in my sacks. kiss letter. <laughs> <laughs> Huge thanks to Caroline. You can find her on social media at Zaraline and find out where to read her writing and listen to her podcast there. I'm Daisy Buchanan. Tweet me at NotRollerGirl. Bust me for excessive book buying on Instagram at the Daisy B. And please do subscribe, rate and review us. It helps people find the podcast and we love hearing what you think. For a list of all the books mentioned in the show today, go to acast.com slash booked. For any questions about the podcast, you can email whybooked at gmail.com. Your Booked is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Eggcast. I'll see you next time for some more Pulp Friction. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.